In this series of intentional, we have been working through a number of different steps over the last number of weeks. We begin with the foundation is we can live intentionally because God keeps his promises. And then we talked about how do we pray for a person? Do we pray simply, God, help that person to stop doing a bunch of bad things in their life? Or do we pray, God, will you open their eyes so they will see you, to see what is true? And then from that, we begin to make it personal, that we have a story to share. You as an individual has a story that God has worked through in your life to bring you to where you are today. And that is a powerful story that you can share. And also with that, we talked about some barriers that we all have to overcome. And overcoming barriers is overwhelming often. But when we go back to this foundation and we discover that God helps us to overcome those barriers through the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. As we continue on, now we're trying to make this practical in our lives. And how do we make this practical? We say, God, you've given us a plan. Through this series, we want to live intentionally because the opposite of being intentional is living by accident. And we, by default, live by accident. And there are millions, if not billions of people across our globe who are living by accident. Every day, is we'll just see how it is, and then we'll go through the motions of life year after year and decade after decade. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we take on the prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed in the book of Romans, chapter number 10, verse 1, where he says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. We read passages like that and we go, yes, I want my neighbor to come to know Christ as their Savior. I want my family members to come to know Christ as their Savior. My work colleague, my school friends to live and to know what it is that I know. Have that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then we go, but I don't know what to say. I have a desire to be saved, but I have no idea what I'm going to say. And we naturally have the fear. And so we take a step back and we go, well, because I don't know all the answers, therefore, I'm not going to say anything because they might ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. And that is a natural fear. So rather than focus on everything that we don't know, which is a huge amount of information because we don't know what we don't know, Let's focus on what we do know and discover that in the Word of God, the Bible, He has a plan for us. God has a plan. Our principle is this. The Bible teaches me God's design for mankind. We're going to go back to the Bible today and discover that Bible teaches us that God has a design for us. And as we go through this, we're going to discover that he has a plan and design. And you sent me to Israel a few weeks ago. And with that, I'm going to tell you little stories along the way. I want you to put yourself in the picture. Jesus has already died. He rose again. The disciples have spent time with him. And now he's preparing them because he's going to, the Bible says, ascend up to heaven. And he's teaching his disciples and telling them what it is they're supposed to do. And there's a passage in the Bible, in the book of Matthew, chapter number 28, the very end of the book of Matthew, is called the Great Commission. And it says this, this is Jesus talking. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And Jesus is there teaching his disciples. And you imagine being one of the disciples and you've seen Jesus die on the cross. You've seen him now that he's risen from the dead and you are excited. You are ready to move forward for Christ. And he tells you to do something, you're going to do it. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You go, how am I going to do that? You've seen Jesus working. You've seen how he's, how he's taught. You've seen the miracles. And you believe with all your heart. And then he tells you, go make disciples of all nations. You go, gulp. How am I going to do that? Jesus is preparing himself to ascend up to heaven. If you go to the book of Acts, chapter number one, there's a, there'll be a picture on the screen of Jerusalem. And this is a picture standing on the Mount of Olives. In the distance, you may see a little dot in the distance, and that is the Dome of the Rock where the Temple Mount stood. So we are on the east side of Jerusalem, looking toward the west, and it's on the Mount of Olives. Just below, on the valley down below, is where Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. You see the tree line that comes up to the side. If you, if you were to stand there and turn, there's a bunch of churches. There's a church down the bottom and Garden of Gethsemane, and there's another one further up, and there's several different sites up on the Mount of Olives, depending on which faith you are. And all the different church groups have their own church, and they're incredible churches there claiming this is the very spot that jesus ascended from and of course for every church they have a gift shop as well you imagine standing there you imagine being there two thousand years ago and you know exactly where you are you have memories of a few weeks earlier where you were down in that valley praying with jesus in fact you were sleeping while jesus was praying and then across, just on the other side of the hill, you can't see it, but just on the other side of Jerusalem is where Jesus was crucified. And as you're looking up this hill, you're realizing that's where he prayed. That's where he was crucified. That's where he was buried. And now we're standing up there, and Jesus says in Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8, which is probably very familiar. If you know Christ is your Savior, you're probably familiar with this verse, where Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we normally stop there. But verse number 9 directly follows after that, and it says, and when he had said these things... As they were looking on, he, that is Jesus, was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. They were just told earlier, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You're going to receive power. You're going to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you look at that and you go, but how? And you may be thinking as we, we spend time in prayer, we're going to pray for our, our loved ones. We're going to pray that they come to know Christ as their Savior. And then you stop and go, but what am I supposed to say? So we're going to break this up into three different sections. It begins with God's design. 
That's what we're talking about today. And because of God's design, He created our world perfect. He created us for relationship with Him. But because of sin, we all live in a broken world. And we can all acknowledge that we live in a broken world. And we try many different ways of trying to overcome our brokenness, which we're going to talk about next week. And then because of repentance and belief in Jesus Christ, we have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we now have a new purpose and we can recover over our sin because of Christ comes and takes away our sin and we can now live in God's design. You ever ask yourself, what do people need to know? What is it that a person needs to know in order to come to know Christ as their Savior? We have no problem talking about the weather. We have no problem talking about sport and fishing and any, I don't know what ladies talk about. So anything that ladies talk about. And we have no problem spending all this time talking about these various things. But what is it that a person really does need to know in order to become a Christian? So over the next three weeks, we're going to set the foundation today with God's design. And then we're going to move on talking about our sinfulness and our brokenness and our need for a Savior. And then in two weeks' time, we're going to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to give a plan and it's leading us straight into Easter as we, as we prepare ourselves to share the good news of the gospel with our community. So the question is this. Most people live their entire lives without really understanding and knowing what does it mean to be a Christian. They exist year after year, going through the motions of life, living by accident, but not living on purpose. And really the most basic question a person can ask is, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? And people very sincerely try various ways to try to answer that question of why am I here? Am I some big cosmic accident or has God actually created me with a plan and with a purpose? In your bulletin, I have these written out. First one is this. Some people look for happiness by acquiring possessions. If I just have a house or a car, or a boat, or uh, if you're a teenager, the latest video game. If I just have these various things, but if you discovered that none of those things actually bring happiness. But mankind, we try that. We try to fulfill it with possessions. And possessions are not bad at all, but they are bad when they replace God's design for our life. Recently, I got a new phone. I had an old phone, an iPhone that you needed to use a button. It was not working correctly, so therefore it was time to upgrade. I researched it out, and I discovered that the iPhone 13 was the best value for money right now, and so I I ended up buying that phone. And don't you know, literally the next week, I bought it like on a Thursday, the next week the iPhone 14 goes on sale. Do you know how you look at your phone and go, oh, if I only would have waited a week. To be honest with you, it doesn't make a difference. I, go, I don't use any of the features anyway. I go, hello. But you know, you look at something and you think, if I only had the latest one. We could acquire possessions. Some people try to discover happiness by experiencing pleasure. 
by going on a holiday, if I just had relaxation, if all the dishes were finally done, if my house was finally clean, if everything was just quiet. Some of you go on a holiday and you come back complaining at the end of your holidays by being tired. You come back from your holiday and you go, I'm so tired. Now, some people will not give you any sympathy at all for that. I will try to give you sympathy. I need a holiday from my holiday. Have any of you ever said that before? And we try to find happiness by experiencing pleasure. We also find happiness by gaining prestige and power, which is literally, if you say I'm important, then I must be important. So many years ago, the stock standard answer when you'd ask a child, what is it that you want to be when you grow up? They would say a fireman, a nurse, a doctor, an astronaut. We run a program at Dialup College with the year eights, and we asked them this question, what is it? If you could be anything, what would you be? And I would, without exaggeration, 95% of the students say, I want to be famous. Or, or they say, I want to be a YouTuber. Or they say, I want to be a gamer. And it's interesting, and ultimately, people say, I want you to acknowledge me and say, I'm important, and then I'm important. Now, people find various ways of trying to find out how important they are. They go to Rotnest, and they take a quack of selfies, and they post it, and they try to be, be prestigious. Other people do this. They try to find happiness through religious experience. We can go through the motions of religious experience, whether it be church or some other religion, where you go through the motions and say, I'm going to find happiness. And I believe we have the truth. I sincerely believe we have the, the, the only way. And when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, I firmly believe that. But there are sp uh, millions of people around the world, billions of people around the world that believe differently than I believe and the Bible believes. People like uh, people in India, this particular man is known as a standing Baba. And he's taken a vow, and there's actually hundreds of people like this in India. He's taken a vow, and I don't know if you can see it on the screen, he's actually standing on one foot. And he's taken a vow for 12 years at least to stand on one foot. And in order to stand on one foot, he's built a or they built a frame around him, so he sleeps standing up. Everything he does is standing up on one foot. You can't tell me that he's not sincere. That man is incredibly sincere because standing on one foot for very long, it affects you. You can't do the normal things of life. He can't travel. He can't have normal interactions with people because he's made this commitment. You can't tell me he's not sincere. People try to find happiness through religious experience. In the book of Proverbs, chapter number 14, it says this, There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Even in laughter the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. We see, real happiness does not come through possessions or power. It comes through understanding and knowing God's design. 
accepting the fact that we are broken through our sin and placing our trust upon Jesus Christ through the gospel, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and placing our trust upon Christ as our Savior, repenting of our sin, and now we are, the Bible says, saved, and we now begin to live in God's design. And we're going to begin with this first part is God's design. The first circle we're looking at this morning is God's design. And the first thing we see is God made me to love me. Now, here's a reality check for you. As we consider God made me to love me, I want to be very kind in saying God did not create you because he has a U-shaped hole in his heart that you could only fulfill. And we hear that often where, where God just needed us. And theologically speaking, that doesn't align at all. We learn in the Bible about God being the self-sufficient one. This is outside of our realm of thinking, outside of the way that we as humans think. God is outside of the time frame, the linear way that we think. He sees the beginning from the end. He knows exactly who you are before the creation of the world, the Bible teaches. And as a result of that, he knew exactly who you were and all the failures and mistakes that you had made. And he still decided to to create you because he says, I'm going to choose to love you in the book of Exodus. God is speaking to Moses through a burning bush. And Moses asked the question, um, what's your name? How am I supposed to describe you? And God says, tell them I am who I am. That sounds impressive, particularly if you can imagine God saying those words. But it literally means I am the self-sufficient one. I am the Jehovah God. And being self-sufficient is something that we think, well, I'm self-sufficient. I can take care of myself. God is totally self-sufficient. And within God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, which we have the Trinity, which literally means the triunity, we have God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit eternally existing and not needing anything outside of himself. That right there is deep. And as you begin to study out the, it's called theology, and to study out God, it makes you go, Poof. but at the same time, as you, it makes you uh, say, wow, God, you created us because you chose to love us. It wasn't that you had a need and go, I have to create humans. He says, I want to create you because I want to love you. That changes our view of everything and the way that we view ourselves and the way we view others. Will you please help me out? I was thinking about this point this week and a song that I haven't thought about for a long time. My wife is with the children right now teaching kids' church. Fifty people go and do this today. I think it's going to be in my benefit. When we were getting married, we had some friends sing a song in our wedding, and I'm not going to sing it for you today, but the song was, God knew that I needed you. And it's from the point of view of us singing it to each other, as in God knows that I need Tammy. So will you please, at least 50 of you, bombard my wife today and say, you know what, God knew that Michael needed you. Do that, please. It'll help me out. On the other side is God doesn't say, I need you. He says, I want to love you. 
I don't have to love you. I want to love you. So God made me to love me because he chose me. Also, he chose us with an everlasting love. I'm going to read a number of scriptures. The scripture says in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 3, God's talking to the nation of Israel. And he says, the Lord appeared to him from afar. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I looked at that word everlasting. It literally means without end, outside of the realm of time, eternal love. I have known you. I have loved you from outside of time. I just try to comprehend that. Therefore, I continue my faithfulness to you. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number one, verse four, it says, He hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in, here's the key, in love. We often have an incorrect definition of love. Love is a feeling and love, love makes us warm and fuzzy inside. But the reality is love is an active choice of God. And he has actively chosen the book of 1 John, chapter number 4. I'm going to read verses 8 through 10 to give us a correct definition of love. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because it says there, God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest or to shown out to us among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, that's the atonement for our sins. This here is what we see as love is defined as it's not accidental. God didn't just fall into love and you and go, oh, how did I end up here? God from the be before time chose to create you and me and the person and the people that you love and the people that you can't stand. He created them and he says, I've chosen to send my son, Jesus Christ. So God made me to love me. But he didn't just create us and say, I have a design for you. I'm going to create you and then leave you all by yourself. And you go work out life for yourself. And if you're good enough, you can enter my kingdom someday. We don't find that at all in the Bible. What we find is he's given us an everlasting love that actually changes everything because it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And we're going to go on to the next point where it says, God made me with purpose God made me with purpose he created you because he wanted to he says I love you now he says I've created you with a plan and with a purpose in this life so we don't just go through the motions of life and go well what was the point of that we have a general purpose that he gives to all mankind Right in the very beginning of the Bible, probably on the first page of your Bible, if you have a paper Bible, is Genesis chapter number 1, verses 27 and 28. It's the very end of the creation story. And as you read through creation, and he ends up and he creates mankind, and he gives us a purpose from the very beginning. 
And it says in verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and, and said, And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He's given us a purpose in this life. To be fruitful and multiply. And mankind has done that. We've gone and we've subdued the earth. Some of you are fishermen and you can say, See, I'm fulfilling God's purpose for my life by catching fish. We have a general purpose for all mankind is to go out and live in this world and enjoy the world that God has given to us. But he also has given us specific. Another way of saying that would be an an individual purpose. He's given you a purpose that says, I know who you are. You're not just a human. I know you individually. Probably the best psalm to illustrate that point is Psalm 139. And then in verse number 14, it says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not some cosmic accident that God maybe have created and wiped his hands of. He says, I know who you are. And through that Psalm 139, it gives us the, the reference points, the fact that he's known us before we were even inside of our mother's womb. He knew who we were. And he knows every thought that we have. And he knows everything about us. And our response is, wow, God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We have a specific purpose. 1 Timothy chapter number 6, verse 17. It helps us understand our focus. Because in our life, it's so easy to become distracted. We get used to the routine of life. And we can forget that God has a specific purpose for our life. We can go through the motions and look around and go, look, my bills are paid. The kids are seemingly getting along. The dog is doing okay. Everything in life is going all right. And we go through the motions and we forget that God has a specific plan and purpose for our life as an individual. And it says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Just because everything was comfortable yesterday doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable today. And here's what we should be putting our focus on. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And it changes our focus and helps us focus not upon ourselves, which is our natural way of thinking, but the focus upon God and His plan, because His plan gives us an abundant life. In the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus famously says, The thief comes not only to steal and kill and destroy, I came that they have life and have it abundantly. If you go through this and just think of this, God made me to love me. Talking about God's design. And I want you to remember that. God made you to love you. That's some pretty good news. God made you with a purpose. What does a person that needs to know what the gospel teaches as a foundation? They need to know that they're loved. They need to know that they are created by God because he says, I've chosen to love you. Secondly, that person needs to know that they're created with a purpose. 
Maybe you've talked with people that are incredibly discouraged. I have. And to try to convince them that they're loved, that they have purpose, they go, there's no way that I'm loved. There are circumstances that are the total opposite. And there's no way that I have purpose. And if I do have purpose, I've messed it up so many times, there's no way I could possibly have a purpose in this life. So as we go out this week and seek to share the good news of the gospel with people, we need to rec- help them recognize that are people are loved, that they are created with purpose. And when we enjoy those purposes, do you have your Bibles? Turn to the book of Romans, chapter number 8. I'm going to go through a very quick list that's just listed out in one chapter of the Bible of some of the wonderful benefits that we enjoy when we actually live in God's love and we live in God's purpose. There's some benefits that we enjoy. And this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. This is just a a challenge and an encouragement for you as we are living our lives. Because maybe you're here today and you're even questioning, God, there's no way that you could love me. And you start thinking about all your failures, all your faults. God, there's no way that you can have a specific purpose for my life. I can see how you work in someone else's life and you're blessing them, but there's no way you can work in my life. And we're not talking about financial wealth. We're not talking about ease of life or even even physical health. We're talking about spiritual health here. First of all, we see in the book of Romans, chapter number eight. Did you find that in your Bibles? Verse number one says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are now, we have a clear conscience. We are declared not guilty before God. That's one of the benefits that we enjoy. We are of a clear conscience. We also have life and peace. Verse number six says, To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. We now have the ability to go through life without the worry, without the fear of the unknown. The scariest thing in this world, as I've joked about in the past, is not the dark and is not spiders or snakes. The scariest thing in this world is the unknown. And the future is filled with unknowns. But when we set our minds on the Spirit, we have life and we have peace. We also have help in our weakness. And we can all admit even though we don't really readily admit, I'm weak. We can admit that we have weaknesses in our life. Verse number 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We also are given a purpose in life. And verse number 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. We have confidence in this life, that we can live this life differently. In verse 31 it says, If God is for us, who can be against us? And who also have security. If you're part of the More Than Conquerors basketball club, whose last game was yesterday and their awards day is this afternoon this is the key verse for that basketball club which our church is one of the major sponsors verse 37 says 
In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have some wonderful benefits that we get to enjoy because God made you to love you. And God made you with purpose. And as you consider that, and you're thinking through the person that God laid on your heart and your mind to be intentional with, how can you bring this up in conversation? How can you start talking about God's love? Now, I know with men, if you're on the work side, talking about love is kind of a weird thing. But you realize we all need to be loved. We all desire that. We have natural ways, and just to review those other ways, we naturally go back to acquire possessions and experience pleasure. We gain prestige and power. We have religious experience. And can you filter through and see how that fits into our world around us? But we're called to live differently in God's design. So as we build on this this week with God's design, and then next week as we look at our brokenness as individuals, and I'm not going to be picking on anyone individually. We're going to talk about collectively our sin and our response to sin and our emptiness as a result of sin, and then ultimately leading us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you use that? Can you start thinking about how you can begin to use this in your conversation? Because we want to live intentionally. We want to live in God's plan and in His design so we can be God's people. To use those words again, to connect and grow and serve, are empty without God's design.